Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. And today I'm very happy to have Nachika Deval with me, who is a co-founder of Koyo Labs. And Koyo Labs is at the forefront of medical device innovation. And they specifically focus on creating solutions in the unmet needs of emergency, trauma, and critical care. Now they have two flagship products, but I don't want to really go into those because I think Nachiket will be able to much better elaborate on what they are and what they do. So just to start off, hey Nachiket, how are you doing? Hey Arman, how are you? I'm good. Awesome. Um, so, you know, again, the way I start a lot of these podcasts is I like to find out about the background behind the founder who started a specific organization. So could you tell us a little bit about, you know, your background, where you grew up and what you studied and eventually how that led you to Koyo Labs? Sure. So I am a production engineer. Uh, I did my production engineering from Pune University. And uh, post that, I was in the heavy engineering uh, segment. Basically, I was working with Godrej and Boys for a year. And uh, post that, I was with uh, a consultancy firm, which was into marine engineering, uh, ship design, and dry dock design, and these things. So yeah, I was always interested in engineering, problem solving. Uh, and, and during this time, I kind of uh, realized that there's a field called industrial design, wherein uh, it's 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 an amalgamation of engineering and uh, the human factors associated with it. So, mm-hmm. so it's it's not just engineering; it's also how your products are being used, and that kind of led me to doing my masters from NID, National Institute of Design, Ahmedabad, where I did my industrial design course. Uh, post that, I was kind of really curious in the whole public health domain, and I really wanted to do something there. Uh, so I did apply to a lot of these medical device firms, uh, mm-hmm. GE, Wipro's, and these firms. But unfortunately, that time there were no openings, and and that is when uh, I was doing an internship at Honeywell. Uh, okay. And I was working with hazardous materials and supply chains and how hazardous materials are being transported. And I realized that there was this call for an internship opportunity wherein Inaxel was a company which was supporting uh, a cross-disciplinary team to come together and build something new in the uh, medical device domain. And I just jumped for it. I mean, that was something which I I was always passionate for. So I jumped in for the opportunity and that is how uh, finally it led to, you know, the Koyo Labs brand being formed. So so that is how we started out. Awesome. And, you know, I'm a bit interested because medical device innovation or, you know, any of these kind of fields are very specific domains, right? So wasn't it really challenging to you know, move into this complex, complex domain that is medical device and, you know, medicine in general, and try to be able to understand the complexity of the problems, which then led you, uh, you know, to creating the solutions that you did. Oh, yes. So when we started out, we were complete novices. I mean, we had no clue of what we wanted to do. Uh, and and that is why I think Inaxel really helped us because 
they gave us a platform where me and my co-founder Nitesh, so we both and a few doctors and a business graduate came together and spent six months in the emergency and critical care department of a tertiary care hospital here in Bangalore. And, and that is when we started shadowing doctors, nurses, the entire care path, uh, patients, finding out what, what they are really suffering from, what is the infrastructure problems and such things. And, and that is when we realized, you know, the entire depth of what medical domain is and what caregiving actually means and what is this whole system. Uh, and, and during that time, we started finding out the unmet problems uh, which were not being solved currently and which had a negative outcome. So this whole process which uh, Inaxel brought in is basically inspired from the Stanford biodesign process uh, when they, they actually do the same thing. They put a cross-disciplinary team in the clinical setting to find out unmet needs and post that you come up with solutions for those. So the way we did it was we kind of came up with almost 80 different problems. And then we started filtering them out based on a lot of parameters like what is the incidence rate, whether it is just this local problem in this one hospital or whether this is a global problem. Uh, who are the people involved? Who are the stakeholders involved? Are the doctor willing to accept some of the solutions if there are any? And things like those. Uh, and and then we finally came up with top 10 problems, which were very compelling, which had a very big impact, which would potentially have a very big impact if solved. And uh, they were global problems typically. Uh, and there were no solutions which were catering to those problems, especially in the developing world. Uh, so, so that is how we started out. So we didn't start out saying that, hey, we have this technology and how can we put it mm -hmm. for use? And I think that is where it was it was kind of a different path that we took and and that I think is the reason why we are successful. So so how many months did it take you or weeks or whatever it was to find and uh, you know really research these problems effectively and then narrow down to the two you eventually started? So uh, this program was for six months, so that was the time it was mandated to. Mm -hmm basically get the whole 80 problems but we took at least three more months to really narrow them down and come to the top 10 so it was i would say about eight months eight to nine months that we took to finally uh, come down to the two problems that we would eventually solve okay well yeah that, that i mean you need that much kind of time especially in medical innovation um, and even that seems pretty short, to be honest, to be able to learn the entire field and create a solution that really does solve problems. That's, you know, incredibly quick to get to, you know, one functional idea. And I, I just wonder why these programs don't run more often, because it seems like it makes so much sense. You know, put some of our smartest engineers into these complex, complex situations where we need help. And, you know, I, I can I can guarantee I could easily see that we could solve several, you know, of some of our most complex problems in India through doing this. So I think, you know, what Inaxel is doing with this is very, very cool. Um, now, I really yeah. want to know about, uh, so these two products, what are they and what is the huge problem that they are solving uh, in India? 
So the two problems that we have developed and commercialized are called WAPCare and SaaS. I would start with uh, WAPCare first, just because we started with the development first. Uh, mm -hmm. So, so WAPCare basically solves a problem for of uh, ventilator-associated pneumonia. So ventilator-associated pneumonia is a fatal hospital-acquired infection of the lungs. What I mean by hospital-acquired is is that it is a secondary infection wherein uh, people who are on the ventilator, they get acquire this infection while uh, they stay on the ventilator. So they can come uh, to get a treatment for whatever other ailment they're suffering from, which is their primary ailment. And in due course for the treatment of that ailment, they are put on the ventilator. But while they are on the ventilator, they are getting this one more problem. And it's very common. So, Hospital acquired infections, if you search online, it's it's a big global problem. Mm -hmm. uh, and mm -hmm. and and one of one of the major killers in the ICU settings. And one of such infection is called ventilator associated pneumonia. Uh, so what basically happens is uh, you and me being uh, healthy human beings, we generate almost a liter of secretions, which is saliva and mucus in a day. And all these secretions uh, go wow. inside the, the, yeah, exactly. One liter is a lot. This is something that was a realization for us as well. Uh, so we, we generate almost a liter and we gulp it down. It goes inside the stomach. But uh, patients who are in the ventilator, they have this tube uh, put inside the lungs to give respiration, artificial respiration. Uh, and this tube, though helpful for giving respiration, it basically uh, prevents the epiglottis from functioning. Epiglottis is the is a valve which covers the windpipe, ensuring that nothing goes inside the lungs. Now, since there's a mm. constant tube put inside, this valve is no more functional. Plus, these patients are sedated, they're unconscious, and are typically immunosuppressed, which means that immunity has been lowered because many of the drugs they are taking, uh, they have reactions to those, and so their immunity is basically suppressed. Or they typically do not have good immunity, and that is the reason they've come in an ICU. So no matter what, a small infection is fatal in such patients. Uh, and and that is what is happening. So all these secretions are, which we these patients are generating, they basically trickle down and micro-aspirate inside the lungs. And in the lungs, then they become Lungs become basically uh, like beds for microorganisms to thrive and and that causes pneumonia. So this is basically the whole, uh, the way how ventilator associated pneumonia is happening. Of, of course, it is a multifactorial disease. So there are a lot of other factors uh, which aid to this uh, disease happening. Like it, it's also uh, gastric reflux, as in if the stomach has contains uh, you know, there's a reflux from there and that goes inside the lungs. So there are many other things which uh, are also causing this. But the primary reasons is basically secretions and any other fluid going inside the lungs and then causing infection. So uh, so this this was the problem statement that we finally came mm -hmm. down to after a lot of research. And and that is the that was the genesis of WAPCARE when we said, now can we stop the secretion from going in? So so the way we kind of worked out was saying that uh, 
do we have a scientific uh, proof of you know the whole pathology and the actual problem and so it should not become like a research project where we where the clinical uh, part itself is not clear so here in in this case the clinical part was very clear it was known how vap was happening uh, and and that that was something which we kind of very consciously kept in our minds that we though we had other problems to solve they didn't really uh, have very uh, good documentation of the whole clinical pathway for the uh, disease state and that was something which was worrisome because then it would have just become a research project wherein we would have gone and you know started research in the clinical path which was not our competency we were engineers and designers so we were good at the you know technology part of how to solve a clinical problem but the clinical problem had to be defined well mm-hmm. so so yeah so in this case yes it was very well defined so we kind of started ahead uh so the solution that we came up was a device which would which would uh, uh sense and move secretions from three locations of the oral cavity and also uh, provide oral hygiene by spraying a disinfectant inside the oral cavity and flushing out so ensuring that the oral cavity is uh, maintaining the hygienic standards required and and also that all the secretions are being being collected before they can go inside so so this is basically what vapcare is uh, it senses secretions and remove them removes them before it can go inside and thereby preventing secretions going in and then finally reducing the incidence of vap uh, it is it is being used in more than about 120 patients till now and we've got really good results we did a uh, a study with 30 patients and uh, we had surprisingly good results where when uh, the incidence rates which were reported in this hospital were about 15 to 20% which were the historical incidence rates of mentally mm-hmm. associated pneumonia and in the 30 patients that we put our device on we had zero cases wow yeah exactly i mean this is really surprising for us as well uh, because we didn't really expect this kind of an outcome but yeah i mean it is kind of solving the problem so so, so i wanted to uh, you know just just a little bit there uh to understand the you know the grand scheme of this problem could you like enlighten us on how many people actually suffer from this in india a year um i i read i read some yes. statistics that are kind of crazy but go ahead so in india itself it's a major problem uh, about 600000 patients get affected by this disease so the mm-hmm. incidence rates vary from setting to setting there's a jepma report which says that the incidence rate of vap can be as high as 50% which means that half of the patients who are on the ventilator are getting this infection uh, but then they have reduced and and they vary from setting to setting but at least 20% i would say is an is an average number of people who get uh, vap uh, so so that is the magnitude we are talking of around 600000 patients getting it and about 150000 patients dying because of this no not 150000 it's 250000 because 40% of them wow. uh, have mortality and so so we look, we are looking at huge numbers so and it's especially the problem in developing world because of a lot of other reasons basically we do not have one to one nursing care what it basically means is there's no one nurse for one patient 
mm-hmm. because of the shortage and and so much of the load of the patient population so what that basically creates is a lot of hygiene uh, problems and not adhering to protocols also nurses in india are very overburdened i mean they mm-hmm. have so many things to do and suctioning out of the mouth of a patient is the last thing on their charts they have 100 other things which are far more important and far more critical to be done so this takes kind of takes the back seat and and i really don't blame them because they can't really see it's a blind procedure so what they currently do is take a suction catheter and put it inside the mouth and try to remove the secretions from wherever they are now as you can imagine they can't really visualize how many secretions are there inside and Uh, whether they have really removed all the secretions so it's a blind procedure it's just doing the protocol putting it every time inside in every 2 to 4 hours and removing it out but whether it's completely removed or not you know you can just guess about it so so that is that is the whole problem and uh yeah it's it's just killing people is so is lose. that a problem you know the Sorry, in india right? i think in india we all know that you know a huge issue is that we have so many people and we don't have enough doctors and nurses to be able to take care of them and again that causes you know probably multiples of thousands of fatalities per year like you're talking about and i just want to know is that one of the major reasons for this like is this happening in in western countries or you know you would say more developed uh, medical care countries are they getting this kind of vap pneumonia or is it specifically because we don't have enough people or nurses to be able to monitor this or is it because the device just simply wasn't there uh sorry arman i think i your voice is breaking a bit so can you just repeat the last question that you asked okay one second let me can you hear me now yes 18 i just put an editing note for myself 1730. Okay, it, my voice no, broke up. Now, yes, even now. Like it, it's the whole sentence up. it just breaks for like a millisecond somewhere. Mm. Not sure. Okay, is it better now? No. It just no. last word went off. 1730. Okay, just give me one second. Let me test yeah, why yeah, this, this is happening. This is this is better? This is better. Okay. So till 19. Okay. So uh Nachiket, I wanted to know is this specifically a problem in in India because we don't have enough nurses and doctors and is it a problem in more developed you would say more developed medical uh medical care countries? Do they face this kind of vap pneumonia as well? Uh, so i would say yes this is a global problem it's not just in india because even in the us you have about 150000 cases a year of this infection it's just that their standards of care uh may be better because they don't have as much load so uh mm-hmm. it's just that the incidence rates are a bit lower and and in general their population is lower so so the total number of effect size is lower the number of people getting affected is lower but it's it's a general phenomena across the world uh, the average rates of incidence vary between somewhere around 5 to 20% across the globe so yeah okay it's not just india and i so i did an interview with anand anand kumar before and he also talked about how 
Infections picked up in ICUs are a huge issue in India and all over the world. And it seems like, you know, people are getting very, very sick, especially when they're in critical care, by going to a hospital, like almost fatally sick. And, you know, it's very cool to see that, you know, you, your team at Koyo Labs and, you know, other companies like that are solving this problem because you would never assume, you always associate you're going to the hospital, you're going to get better. You don't associate you're going to potentially get even more sick by going to a hospital. Um, exactly. So I, yeah, go ahead on that. Yeah, so uh, I think Anand must have said the same thing. We have not got a new uh, antibiotic in the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. And and with the rampant use of antibiotics in India, we've all become immune uh, to to like the highest dose of antibiotics. Uh, and it is a huge, huge problem. The whole antimicrobial resistance, AMR, as it said, it's a huge problem uh, uh, because the day you go inside the ICU, there are only those few antibiotics that are going to work. And if you're already immune to those, then there's just no chance of getting out. I mean, the infection is surely going to affect you. And since you're already immune to most highest dose of the antibiotics like in cholestine for that matter which is like a really potent antibiotic is mm-hmm. being sprayed on the poultry in india rampantly so wow. even if you're not you even if you're not taking antibiotics yourself just in the food chain there's so much antibiotic already present that uh, you would you may get immune uh, so so it's a huge problem and uh, so there's something called late onset vap uh, which is pneumonia, which happens, uh, I think, uh, after three days of intubation or ventilation, mm-hmm. and the and and the mortality rates associated with late onset VAPs are huge. I mean, it's it's I think 40% or more. Uh, so so such infections which you get are going to be fatal, and the only way is to really stop the use of antibiotics. So what our device also does is ensures that the use of antibiotics is reduced because we are stopping the problem at the very genesis. We are stopping secretions mm-hmm. from going, which will ensure that uh, you know the infection itself will not happen. So that will, in time, if proven well, reduce the broad spectrum antibiotics. So basically right now what is happening is as soon as the patient is going in the, inside the ICU and on the ventilator, uh, doctors are prescribing broad-spectrum antibiotics, which is basically saying that you know it will kill most of the general bacteria uh, in the system. Uh, so as to ensure that the the patient does not you know get an infection. So it's 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 being given as a precautionary measure, which is actually causing the whole AMR problem. Mm. So, so what this device will basically do is stop the use of the prophylactic use of uh, broad spectrum antibiotics, uh, and only targeted antibiotics will be given. So, if you have got an infection even after the use of this device, you would be given just an antibiotic which would be more targeted to this certain uh, microbe and not a broad spectrum. Wow. So it will reduce. Yeah. It's it's really crazy that you know we as the general population. Uh, just don't know these things, and we're you know we're putting complete 100% faith in 
you know, what we're getting is the best course of medication. And I, I, I understand why, and Anand really alluded to why this is currently happening in India. But it, it is interesting to know that, uh, you know, even in these specific fields, we should probably do some of our own research before, you know, um, you know, taking in everything that we get. Because this AMR problems, it sounds incredible. And I'm happy to oh, yeah. see companies going into it. And, uh, you know, I, I want to go into your your other product, your product, Sans, like you were talking about, uh, because it also is a product with huge potential. And it, could you could you go into it? What is it and what is the problem you guys are solving and how you're solving it? Yeah, sure. So uh, SARS, as the name suggests, just means breath in Hindi. Uh, mm -hmm. It's it's a device to provide assisted breathing support to neonates, uh, specifically preterm neonates, uh, who are suffering with a condition called respiratory distress. Uh, so what happens is uh, babies uh, which are born preterm, that is before nine months of gestation, uh, the lungs are not typically developed completely and they many times lack a layer of surfactant and sorry uh, the layer of surfactant basically ensures that the lungs remain uh, patent or open uh, and they do not collapse but since this layer is the protein layer is not there they collapse so uh, and it's really hard to reinflate the lungs it's like a balloon uh, just imagine the balloon uh, the the initial uh, effort required to blow a balloon is higher than you know later on. It's it's the similar mm -hmm. thing when the lungs, if they are not inflated and if they completely collapse, then it's really hard to reinflate them. Uh, so so the WHO recommended therapy here, it's called CPAP, Continuous Positive Airway Pressure Therapy. Uh, before I go into the technicalities of what this therapy is, I would yeah I just come back to saying. The, the gravity of this problem is huge again in India. Uh, respiratory distress is is leading to about 160,000 babies dying in India alone. And uh, the problem in India is is very peculiar to developing world, and that is where science really comes in, is that a, a, a report clearly states that 30% of these deaths are happening during transfers which means that the baby is born in the primary healthcare setting in the rural hospital and then it is being transferred to a tertiary hospital in the city where they have these CPAP devices and other devices which uh, are used for the treatment. But during this transfer, there is just no support and the babies are being carried by different ways of transport. I mean, it's not just ambulances that are being transported by. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so so the whole genesis again of this problem was we seeing a baby coming to the emergency ward at about two o'clock in the night uh, with the baby's parents uh, giving artificial respiration using a bag and mask respirator and the baby coming in an auto rickshaw. Wow. And, that and, is incredible. And, uh, and then the baby was transferred to the NICU. However, the baby could not uh, survive and that shook us and we were like what is happening here why is the baby coming mm. in an auto rickshaw and why 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 is there nobody supporting the baby why are the parents you know giving respiration I mean 
there were so many things involved and we were just we were just shocked by this whole thing then we started digging in and we realized that transport is a big, major problem here so so the cpap therapy, therapy which i just talked about earlier it's called continuous positive airway pressure this is a therapy which is already uh, recommended by who and it is these devices are typically present in all the major healthcare settings which are the tertiary hospitals or the neon neonatal icus nicus as they are called but uh, these devices are not present in the primary healthcare centers uh, where many of the babies are born and and the reason for that is, uh, there are, there are multiple reasons to this and it's not just cost i mean first of all we were like okay it must be expensive and that is why they are not there in the rural setting but it's not just cost yes cost is a big factor there but it's also infrastructure most of these devices require uh, a compressor and an external oxygen cylinder together they require 24 by 7 electricity uh, and they require skilled manpower to use these devices and all three of these things are not present in the rural hospitals where there this just typically one doctor and a nurse that's all that you have in these smaller hospitals uh and and you know the the amount of load that they have is just tremendous the number of people coming to these settings so and that is when we started to say what are the things which are required to make a transport device or a device which can be used in the smaller settings as well so then is when we came up with sas sas is also a cpap device so see what cpap device does is basically it provides continuous uh, supply of air at constant pressures and flow rates uh, basically ensuring that there is some residual amount of air inside the lungs and above and over which the baby will breathe so so this is like a very simple physics problem to give air at a constant pressure and flow uh, the reason mm. why this is not there in the rural settings is because there are all these infrastructure problems the infrastructure dependencies and further digging we realize that most of the devices most of the cpap devices are being imported about 70% of the devices in india are imported so is the case with the cpap devices and since they are imported they are developed or created in the developed world so the the requirements for the use of device are very different so they they consider infrastructure as given i mean they don't think that there would be a re- reason for not having electricity not having oxygen or not having a compressed supply of gas of air so so mm-hmm. these devices are built for that setting and then they are just bought in and placed in the rural hospitals or wherever in the developing world and they just don't function because they don't have the infrastructure they don't have the skilled manpower to use them and then they just lie there without being used and then they finally just get discarded so and that is when we started out we said can we make an infrastructure independent device so the current cpap that we have developed is called sas it works it has an inbuilt compressor to provide the compressed air it has an inbuilt battery to give 2 hours of uh, battery backup it works with the ac supply as well as the car's dc cigarette lighter jack uh it has a port to connect to an external oxygen cylinder if there is one to mm-hmm. give 
uh, air and oxygen blending. So many of the babies require higher concentrations of oxygen, uh, not just the 21 percent which is there in the air. So it, it can get connected to an oxygen cylinder as well. Uh, on top of it, it has a backup fail-safe mode wherein it can be pumped manually. So it gets connected to the AMBO bag or the bag and mask respirator. Mm -hmm. and and the machine basically converts the reciprocating pumping air uh, into a constant flow, constant pressure supply, which is then uh, filtered and provided to the baby. So what we have built is a device which basically is almost infrastructure independent. It can be used in the rural setting as well as in the transport. It can also be used for intra-hospital transfers uh, between the maternity wards and the neonatal ICUs. So typically this is also one more big problem wherein the maternity wards, wards are on some other floor and and the neonatal ICU is in on, on an other floor. So there's like a travel time just in between the hospital there's a travel time of like 15-20 minutes and and in many cases that time itself is very critical and, and they just again don't have anything for the transfers. So this is where uh, SaaS comes in and it says we are a device which will work in all settings. Wow. And I think, um, you know, you explained that really well. And I think you brought up some, you know, very interesting problems. Um, you know, one of which is, I think, you know, everybody sees it on a daily basis, uh, you know, medical transfers. Even when you see an ambulance, you know, the amount of traffic in, whether this not be a rural, but the amount of traffic in cities that, you know, would cause a potential delay in this to get to the hospital is immense. And I, I don't know how we solve that. That's one. And the other big one that I thought was really interesting, which I've never really thought about before, is that, you know, with India and potentially with all developing countries, we need to innovate and create products that specifically fit the needs of our current situation. Like you said, we're importing CPAPs from the developed world. They have electricity, they have all these things, but it, it's of no use to us if we cannot you know, effectively use them. And I think that's a very cool um, point that you brought up. And I, I want to know, um, moving from this into how do you guys create a sustainable business from these medical devices? Because... A lot of who you guys uh, target have been, you know, the more rural hospitals or I know you do work with large hospitals as well, but how, how do you create a business model where you can effectively help out the those in need in the rural areas while creating a sustainable business and allowing you guys to innovate further um, in the future? Uh, so I would say the business model is created by the need. And because there is such a huge need in in the whole rural system, uh, it it is kind of easy. So right now we are targeting with the SaaS device, we are targeting uh, the private uh, maternity wards in the rural setting as well as in settings near in the smaller towns, uh, tier two cities. Uh, we are also looking at the governments of the different states to procure this device and have like a uh, the a pan state deployment in all the different uh, hospitals that the government manages. So, so the business case is basically saying that there is a need, and as long as there is a need, 
we will sell it and we will create the impact. Well, yeah, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. And I, I do want to know as well, um, you know, similar in the Anand interview about Bugworks, he talked about it takes 10 to 11 years to get a product to market, to get a medical drug to market. Now, I assume that the medical device is lower um, amount of time, but can you talk about, you know, how you got these products to market? How did you produce them? How did you find the manufacturers and how did you eventually get them tested? And what are the, some of the, you know, big challenges that you guys faced here in getting this to market? Uh, so I would start from 2014. Back in 2014 is when we started out saying that we want to make these devices. Uh, and it took us till end of 2018 to really develop them and to start commercialization. So it was four years that we took. And uh, these four years were a lot of iteration, a lot of changes, a lot of regulatory certifications, uh, and you know clearances to ensure that there is quality. So one of the things that medical device uh, domain is, yes, as Anand said, uh, you know, the drugs take about 10 years. Yes, de developing devices may not be that long, uh, but it is not as quick as an app. So yes, uh, even the investors that you look for uh, would typically, uh, you would want to have investors who have that kind of a patience and uh, who know the whole development cycle. So fortunately for us in Axel was also the investor in us and they knew this whole system very well uh, so it kind of helped us because they knew that you know it is going to take time and to build quality product uh, it it really takes that much time uh, yeah but i mean and and it is important to really understand that you know it is not a time which is wasted it is it is a time which is invested so you know the time which we have spent the four uh, the four years spent in developing this which is really worthwhile because now we can really you know say that we have developed something which is of international quality so uh, so the devices that we've developed uh, they have they have been uh, the webcare device has uh, has been registered with the US FDA uh, the company is already 13485, so 13485 certified, and and uh, uh, we've we have uh, been audited for uh, the CE certification, which is a certification for the European Union. So I mean, all these things are required to ensure that you have the right quality, because here you're looking at, you know, your devices being used on on patients who are critical already. And you really don't want to create harm. Even if you can't really solve a problem, you definitely don't want to create more harm to the patient. So, so I would say, uh, I mean, this is something, if, if there is a new person who really wants to come in this field, I would say, have this kind of a patience. Have, you know, invest your time in doing these things because they are important. And they would, they would you know, really benefit in the long run. Well, that's a very cool point, and I, I also got out of it, um, you know, other than patience as well, but enjoying the process. It seemed like when you were talking about it, you really enjoyed the four years of figuring out the problem, you know, and then, you know, coming up with, with solutions to all of the challenges that you faced along the way. 
So that, that's another thing that I just took away from what you said. And uh, now I want to know, um, you know, moving a little bit away from the products, I want to know, and I think a lot of people would be interested in, when you were doing this research and you were doing the fellowship program within Axel, what were some of the other huge, you know, glaring gaps that you saw in our medical industry, in our health industry that really, you know, you know shook you guys? Uh, there were, so as I told you, we had like 80 different problems that we finally came down to. Uh, and then we selected 10 and then we finally came down to developing two. So uh, we kind of came, since we were working in the emergency and critical care, we, we were not bound by a particular discipline of medicine, say cardiology or neurology. We, we came across a lot of problems in a lot of different uh, areas. So, uh, so I would say like this, we came uh, across problems of myocardial infarction, which is basically heart attacks, but silent ones. So they are, they are asymptomatic heart attacks. We came across uh, few foot amputations caused because of, uh, you know, uh, diabetes, which is really led to gangrene and then, you know, causing foot amputations and things like that, which like, tremendously uh, mind-boggling I would say I mean uh, and and things like uh, you know there were seasons I, I was surprised to find out that there are seasons for uh, diabetic uh, foot ulcers and 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 they're related to you know the festivals and and then there was this explanation by a doctor saying that oh yes there are these patients who are diabetic and they go to pilgrimages without wearing proper footwear and then it results into infections and foot ulcers and gangrene and finally amputation and and, wow. and this was shocking i mean who would think that there would be seasons or pilgrimages associated with diabetes and foot ulcers? Yeah. i mean yeah things like these and, and these are very contextual these are very india specific so you won't find these in the Western world or or anywhere else. I mean, many of these problems are problems which are, you know, very local, very uh, problems, which I would say are because of the culture that we live in. Mm-hmm. Wow, so, yeah. that's that's like it's it's crazy to hear that. Actually, I would I would have never thought that. But it, it does make a lot of sense. You know, it makes a lot of sense. It does. Um, so now you guys have moved on and you guys have merged with Inaxel and, um, can, can, can you talk about that decision a little bit? Why did you guys do that? Um, and how is it helping, you know, Koyo Labs move into the future? So, uh, merging with Inaxel was very strategic decision, decision, I would say, uh, it kind of, it was basically an amalgamation. We were always working together, uh, Inaxel was always our incubator. We were working out of their space. We were using their facilities. We were using their brains. Uh, Siraj and Avia have been instrumental, not just being investors. They were instrumental right from the start, giving us an opportunity to now, uh, you know, you know, they were involved in each and every aspect of what we were doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was it was kind of a natural thing to do, wherein we could just uh, merge our energies together and, uh, you know, de-risk ourselves so basically Naxil has their own two products uh koyo labs has two products and there's one more company called satama medtech uh, which has one more product in the 
neonatal, not neonatal, I would say pregnancy space, the Opsengain space. So now Inaxel as the merged entity has five products under its umbrella and uh, in, uh, so it kind of uh, reduces the risks of commercialization. Uh, as we very well know, I mean, even though these products are all world class and, uh, you know, things are working out really good, but it's not always that easy to commercialize. Though you have world class products, uh, commercializing is a different ball game altogether. I mean, there are so many other things involved in commercialization and many things can change in commercializing. It's just that many things can be slower or faster. I mean, the uptake of many devices can be slower versus others can be fast. And so once we have a single entity, it we are basically de-risking all the products. So even if one product takes a bit longer to commercialize, there are others which can basically start creating the revenue and ensuring that all the teams are still uh, doing well. The other thing with, where it helps is we can now merge on uh, the sales and marketing teams. So now we can have a single team which can do all these products, the sales and marketing for all these products. So uh, it it kind of is a win-win situation for everybody as, uh, you know, we are saving on costs. It's, it's just saying that merging is basically saving on a on the commercialization costs and as it is we were working together so it's not like a very big change for us okay so yeah so yeah I, that kind of helps. yeah I, I i see all the benefits of it like you said scaling in sales you know leveraging yeah. you know the fact that they have other products that if yours isn't necessarily performing as well at the start it can be dependent on other products for revenue to further innovate in specific areas but still i wonder and I know you were working with them, but was it tough in any way to give up any control? You know, at the end of the day, like Koyo Labs was your baby, right? So was it, was there a bit of challenge there or was, did you feel like, you know, in your heart that that was the right decision and it was an easier thing to do? Uh, I mean, there was always this personal thing of saying, oh, I am no more to Koyo Labs as a brand it still exists because we have created a brand and it still exists. So that, that, that's not a problem at all. It was mm -hmm. just, uh, and we were always like working together. I mean, we would have weekly meetings to update. So it's, it was not like we were working in silos, uh, before and then, you know, losing control mm -hmm. over things. Uh, I, I would not say that. I mean, we were always working together. So, uh, it was not a problem at all. It's just that, yes, Koyo Labs is no more a private company as such, and it's not registered in the Companies Act. But beyond that, I don't think uh, there is any problem. Cool. And I think a lot of people, you know, who are starting, you know, new companies, they will face a similar, you know, situation where they have to decide, okay, do I sell, do I merge, you know, or do we keep going on our own? And it's cool to get that perspective from you on why you guys chose to merge with an Axel. And um, so just moving into really the final question of this interview is, so what's your personal ambition? You know, what do you want to do with your life and what's the impact that you want to leave, you know, at the end of your career? Uh, so to be honest, I'm not thinking in that long a term right now, but I would say 
just you know just to think it out loud i would say uh you know i want to always be remembered as a innovator and solving problems so i would say so yeah that is what i want to be remembered as i mean as a, a person who who could effectively solve problems and you know have a change in this society wow very cool and i think that's a definitely a cool way to be remembered um nachiket i want to say thank you so much for your time and uh, you know this podcast was very insightful into you know some of the challenges that we face in india especially when it comes to medical care and you know how there's still so much room to solve it and how we need india specific solutions in a lot of cases and we need more engineers working on that specifically uh, for our country so nachiket thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it thank you so much arman it was great speaking with you and discussing these things and i'm sure uh, we will have far more uh, engineers and designers coming in this space and innovating far better products hopefully so yeah thank you nachiket again and we'll speak soon thank you thank you arman <laughs>